and welcome to a bonus edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast where we will be looking at Carlisle and Carbolic Smokeball Company, decided in the Court of Appeal in December 1892. Now for most law students, Carlisle is the first case that they come across and even people who aren't involved in the law will often have heard of the Carlisle case. What I want to do in this episode, however, is to dig behind the scenes a little bit and really examine the judgment up close. Also consider, is it right that Carlyle is held in such reverence by those who are interested in the law? And also, perhaps most importantly, is Carlyle still the key case today that it was back at the end of the 19th century? Perhaps the first question that we need to ask, though, is what exactly is a carbolic smoke ball? Well, what we're dealing with here is a rubber ball that was filled with carbolic acid. This had a rubber tube attached to it that would go in your mouth. You'd squeeze the ball to release all of the carbolic acid vapours, and this would basically make snot go everywhere. But the idea was that it would release all of the flu symptoms alongside the snot as well. Obviously this didn't work and was a load of nonsense. Carbolic acid, for example, was used in World War II by the Nazis um, as a means of execution when they injected people with it. Nevertheless, the Carbolic Smokeball Company tried to make a profit from this and put an advertisement in the Pall Mall Gazette in 1891, which said as follows. £100 reward will be paid by the Carbolic Smokeball Company to any person who contracts the increasing epidemic influenza colds or any disease caused by taking cold after having used the ball three times a day for two weeks according to the printed directions supplied with each ball. Mrs Carlyle, our other protagonist in the case, decided to buy one of the smoke balls, but she still managed to contract flu, despite using it as directed, in early 1892. Her husband, on her behalf, claimed the reward from the Carbolic Smoke Ball Company, but didn't receive a reply to his first letter, didn't receive a reply to his second letter either, and on the third letter that he sent, he got an anonymous response saying that Mrs. Carlyle would have to come in and prove that she had used the smoke ball as directed, and also that she had got the flu as well. This was too much for Mrs. Carlyle's husband, who was a solicitor, and he decided to sue the company on his wife's behalf for the £100, which at the time was a substantial amount of money. £100 would probably buy you a house back in the 1890s in England. When the case first came to the High Court in the Queen's Bench Division, the Carbolic Smokeball Company was represented by Herbert Henry Asquith, who would later go on to become the future Prime Minister of Great Britain. Nevertheless, Asquith lost the case, but appealed to the Court of Appeal on legal grounds. The Court of Appeal dismissed the appeal, and so Mrs Carlyle won. However, this isn't really the important aspect of Carlyle and Carbolic Smokeball Company. The reason why it's so interesting was because of the various defences that Asquith tried to raise, and how the judges in the Court of Appeal dealt with those arguments in turn, and established what is considered to be much of the current law on contract. So now let's have a look at the judgments. In particular, let's start with Lord Justice Lindley, who sets out five key different reasons as to why Mrs Carlyle eventually won the case. The first point that he makes was that the advertisement was more than mere puff. In other words, it was going beyond simple advertising rhetoric of this deodorant will make you irresistible to women. 
because the company had put £1,000 aside in the bank, it, this was evidence of taking the promise seriously, of it being a serious contract with the customer. The second point was that the unilateral offer, which is the type of contract described in this case, was not made with the world at large, but rather with anyone who followed the instructions on the packaging. Thirdly, in another interesting point by Lord Justice Lindley, he notes that acceptance of a contract doesn't necessarily have to be communicated, especially in an example like this of a unilateral offer, where conduct alone will suffice for acceptance. In the fourth point, he notes that the vagueness of the advertisement's terms are not really an obstacle. This isn't really a satisfactory argument put forward by Lord Justice Lindley in response to the defence raised by Asquith, but I think that we can overlook this in those circumstances because there is realistically quite a clear set of terms within the contract that I read out a little earlier. In the fifth instance, the question arose as to what exactly Mrs Carlyle's consideration in the case was. So the Carbolic Smokeball Company were obviously giving away £100, and that was their part of the contract, but what was Mrs Carlyle doing in return was the question that was raised by the defence. Lord Justice Lindley made the excellent point that Mrs Carlyle had not only bought the smokeball as part of her consideration, she had also used it as directed, and going to this inconvenience of having her snot all over the place for three times a day was enough of an inconvenience to counter's consideration. This perhaps links to some of the other famous cases in contract law which talk about the sufficiency, not necessarily the adequacy, of consideration. The other key judgment in the case is given by Lord Justice Bowen who compliments the judgment of Lord Justice Lindley quite nicely. So whereas Lord Justice Lindley wasn't exactly convincing in terms of the vagueness of the advertisement or the subsequent contract, Lord Justice Bowen, on the other hand, talks about, well, if the ordinary person could understand that there was a contract there, then that would be sufficient. The other points that he raises are, even though there was an offer to the whole world, this doesn't necessarily mean that there was a contract with the whole world, because not everybody in the world had performed the requirements dictated by the advertisement in terms of the conduct of buying and then using the carbolic smokeball in a prescribed way. This for me is a great way of thinking about a unilateral offer to the world at large, but contracts with specific individuals such as Mrs Carlyle. Bowen then also goes on to re-emphasise the importance that communication isn't necessary in terms of the acceptance of a contract as well, but realistically this had already been covered by Lord Justice Lindley. The other judge in the case was Lord Justice A.L. Smith, but his judgement was quite short and it generally agreed with the judgments given by the other two justices, so there doesn't really need to be much said about that. And there we have it, at its nub, Carlyle tells us that an advertisement which contains an offer of a reward can represent a binding contract with a person who actually acts on the basis of the advertisement and ultimately seeks to collect the reward. This does raise the question though about why is Carlyle so important? How many offers do you see today which offer rewards in advertisements? I certainly don't see very many.
Nevertheless, even though unilateral contracts themselves are not exactly common, the case is still important in a wider context of contract law, and is still arguably the number one case to give to the first-time law student who wants to see what they're letting themselves in for. As I mentioned earlier, Asquith raises nearly every argument in his defence that he can muster, even though it's to no avail in the end. In any case, for a first-time law student who is interested in pursuing a career as a solicitor or as a barrister, this is particularly interesting for them to read how the intellectual mind works, not only of Asquith in presenting the arguments and coming up with them in the first place, but also the responses by Lord Justice Lindley and Lord Justice Bowen as well, who show equal intellectual resolve in responding to Asquith's arguments. Furthermore, from a purely contract law point of view, this case has all of the essential elements of a contract – offer, acceptance, consideration and intention to create legal relations as well. So for a first-time law student who is studying the law of contract, we've got everything in one particular case that's not only interesting in terms of the facts that are presented, but also interesting in terms of the different types of contract, not just the standard everyday ones like buying something from a shop. Some people have tried to rain on the parade a little bit by pointing out that Carlyle would probably be decided differently today in the light of unfair advertising or false advertising, and other people have even cast doubt upon the decision itself, saying that Carlyle was probably wrongly decided, possibly coming down to that communication issue that I mentioned earlier. For me, this is to miss the point though, the whole idea behind Carlyle, especially the way that it's used on law courses nowadays, is to introduce contract law in a way that's easy and accessible, but also a case with interesting facts behind it that are quite useful to get into, and actually mean something to the case itself. I also like to look at what happened after the case, so the founder of the Carbolic Smokeball Company didn't sort of fade back into insignificance after the case. In fact, he sort of doubled down. He created a new limited liability company and put more advertisements in the paper saying that the Carbolic Smokeball did in fact work and that a reward of £200 would in fact now be offered, although this time there was quite a lot more small print at the bottom of the advertisement. What happened to Mrs. Carlyle herself? Well, she actually went on to live a long and healthy life. She eventually died at the age of 96 in March of 1942. Her doctor said that the main reason for her death was old age, but there was also one other factor listed amongst her notes. Influenza. Thank you very much for listening to this bonus podcast episode. If you do have any other suggestions for cases that you would like covered in future podcast episodes from the distant legal past, then do get in touch either via YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver or on Twitter where I am at Marcus Cleaver. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want to be informed about when new episodes are released and also remember to leave a rating for this podcast as well as it helps other people to discover it. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye!